Hey, welcome to the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I'm Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. I've been gone. Uh, well, I explained that in this opening monologue here. But not a wedding, so it's wonderful to be back at the ground running here. Um, we dedicated our opening monologue here to uh, the cocaine in the White House story and what's coming up next with that. But really the big picture here is why? Why is this a story? Why does the media keep talking about it? Why do we even know about it at all? Those are the questions I really want to uh, want to ask and get to the bottom of here. Uh, it's amazing the power of the media to tell whatever story they want to tell. And even more so than what they're saying, we have to analyze why they're saying it. Enjoy. week but it's great to be back i i missed the cocaine in the white house story are you kidding me <laughs> that's that's the week i missed but it's not gone yet james comer who's the house oversight committee chairman from kentucky requested a briefing from the secret service in front of the house so the story is not going anywhere yet cocaine in the white house i think it was hunter biden Call me crazy. I don't know. I've I've been disconnected a bit. I don't know what people's consensus is these days. But the cocaine in the White House probably came from the parents, uh, the president's crackhead son, who was kicked out of the military for using cocaine. I'm sorry for connecting dots here. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it was a staffer. Maybe it was a staffer. It's just one of those things we'll never know. One of the one of the great mysteries of life. We'll never know. We hear from the left that we got to put cameras everywhere. We got to put cameras on uh, telephone poles. We got to put cameras on street lights. We got to put cameras all over the place because then we can solve crimes. I imagine there's cameras all over the White House. Yet somehow, this one's unsolvable. This is just one of those great mysteries. But here's my conspiracy theory. You want my conspiracy theory? Ready for a good conspiracy theory on a Monday? I love a good conspiracy theory. Let's start off the week with a conspiracy theory. Cocaine in the White House. To me, it's a little too on the nose. No pun intended. It's too easy. It's too simple. I only imagine, and I don't know for sure, but I can only imagine that there is stuff that the Secret Service sees and does every single day that we never hear about. There's no telling the stuff they find left behind from employees or journalists or visitors all the time every day. I bet if you talk to a TSA agent, they could tell you some crazy stories of things they find in the security line let alone Secret Service agents at the White House. I bet they hear and see crazy things. I just find it a bit odd that we even heard about cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House. How did we even hear about this story in the first place? Do you know how easy it would have been for the Secret Service to not 
tell us that there was cocaine found in the West Wing? It would have been very easy for them not to say it. This wasn't leaked. This wasn't uh, an investigative piece found like, oh, like two years ago, there was cocaine found in the White House. This was the Secret Service coming out and announcing that there was cocaine found in the White House. And I heard that. I was like, wait, why are you telling us that? I bet you find stuff all the time. It would have been zero effort for them to not tell us at all. I'm sure they don't tell us many things. I'm sure there's security breaches and things that happen behind the scenes that never get announced. So why announce it? Why announce a thing that is very damaging to the president and his family and release it at all? So call me crazy. And it's just, a, it's just an idea. I don't know. But I think this is all done to make the president look even worse than he is doing on his own in an effort to nicely push him out of running for re-election. I'm not saying it was a plant. I think his crackhead son really did leave cocaine behind. But I think someone said something to someone to make this a public story, which in the past they surely would have kept behind closed doors and not told anyone. Did you know that Barack Obama smoked cigarettes throughout his entire presidency? He smoked cigarettes. Have you ever seen a picture of Barack Obama with a cigarette in his hand? No. Have you ever heard anyone talk about Barack Obama smelling like cigarette smoke? Have you ever heard a single journalist talk about Barack Obama entering the press room and, and the place reeking of cigarettes? He published a book three years ago, and Barack Obama admitted that he smoked 10 cigarettes a day. 10 a day. It's half a pack. Our president, just a couple years ago, in the age of social media and photographers and video cameras, and the whole thing, smoked half a pack of cigarettes a day while president of the United States, and you never once saw a picture of it. You never saw a picture of it. You never saw anyone talk about it. Not once. So that's my evidence that the White House and the press, that when told to obey, I should say my evidence that the press, when told to obey by the White House, can keep a tight seal and a tight lip on whatever they want. Oh, don't take a picture of that. Surely there was a journalist with a camera near Barack Obama when he had a cigarette in his hand. That had to have happened in eight years. <laughs> Yet they never took a picture of it or never published it. Because no Democrat, therefore no one in the press, wanted to ever do anything to make Barack Obama look bad. But there are reasons to say things, tell the truth, about Joe Biden to make him look bad. And that's where I think this story came from, because it's too, it's too, again, on the nose. It's too, why, why, are you, why are you saying this even, Secret Service? What's going on? I think the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party who runs the show, they're like, we do the primaries, but that's just, that's all a show, right? It's all pretend. The primaries are this, this uh, listen, the Democratic and Republican parties, they're just, they're not in the Constitution. They're just private clubs. They can do whatever they want. They can change the rules. They make the rules. They change the rules. And I'm sure there's some bylaw somewhere in the Democratic Party, uh, 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 whatever, whatever, founding documents, where in a time of crisis, the superdelegates can step up and they get to choose the nominee whenever they want. So the party leadership, they do not want Joe Biden to run for re-election. They played nice thinking he would bow out gracefully. He didn't. He said he would run again. And the party leadership is ticked off and they're going to play hardball. 
and escalate more and more and more every day, slowly turning up the heat until he decides, you know what, I think, I think that's it. I think I'm done. And then he'll bow out and they'll just give it to Gavin Newsom. And maybe this is enough, maybe highlighting the fact that your son is a drug addict who brought cocaine into the White House, maybe that's enough to embarrass you away from the White House again. And you can, you can not run and still have some dignity to your name. And maybe this conspiracy theory is, is completely not true at all. I don't know. That's what makes it a conspiracy theory. Just a thought. But the lesson, which is definitely true, do not put it past the Democratic machine to destroy this man if and when necessary. And maybe this is not an example of that. But it could be. So that's my theory. And, and while we're on it, let's just chat a little bit about the Biden family. They're a mess. They're an absolute mess. Like, 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 uh, like you would read about them like you would read about Caligula in ancient Rome for thousands of years ago. And you read these ridiculous stories You're like, what in the world was going on with Caligula? And you, you read, read about this, like, what in the world was going on with the Bidens? Wow, they're messed up. So Joe Biden's son dies. And his other son starts sleeping with the widow. <laughs> like, like, that is crazy messed up. That may be one of the most messed up things I could fathom. And everyone has kids. Everyone has kids and they're sleeping with, with like sisters-in-law. But I think it gets worse. So Hunter Biden, who has kids, is sleeping with his dead brother's wife. He died of brain cancer. She has two young kids. He's living with her. He's also sleeping with her sister. With the widow's sister. He's sleeping with her while sleeping with the dead brother's widow. He's, he's sending raunchy text messages back and forth to, to the sister. This is this like, like, like Caligula slept with his sister. So like, I, maybe that's worse, I guess. I like, it's like Jerry Springer stuff. And then remember Ashley Biden, Joe Biden's daughter, was in rehab. Remember she left her diary behind in the halfway house and the person who was in the halfway house after her found it under the mattress and then sold it to Project Veritas. And those, the two people, the, the woman who found it and like, I don't know, her boyfriend or something, uh, were found guilty of felonies for selling it, right? But she was in treatment for being a sex addict. And in her diary, she said, was I molested? I think so. I can't remember specifics, but I do remember trauma. Hypersexualized at a young age. I somewhat remember being sexualized with Caroline. I remember having sex with friends at a young age. Showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. That's, that's Joe. The, the Bidens are a messed up family. Hunter <laughs> sent a text to his dead brother's wife saying that she needs to be tested for HIV. Not for STD, not just your run-of-the-mill STD, but HIV. Jeez. So Hunter has three kids with his first wife, including Maisie, who we'll get to in a minute. Then he has a daughter with a stripper in Arkansas who he's paying $20,000 a month in child support for. And then he's got a fifth kid with another woman who he married a week after meeting her. And that kid, his fifth kid's son, they named him Bo after the dead brother whose widow he was sleeping with. <laughs> what? 
And then this kid with, that he had with the stripper in Arkansas, the whole family denies that kid as a Biden. Like that's like my like that's really messed up stuff. Now perhaps this is not your cup of tea, this type of uh, you know drama, soap opera drama. But it's a, a nice. I know I could keep going, but it does start to feel a little dirty here, even talking about it. But it's a nice lesson on how the media can tell whatever story they want, just like they can choose to never show a picture of Barack Obama smoking a cigarette. Do you see the metaphor, the power in, in that in that fact that he smoked 10 cigarettes a day and you never saw it one time? And here's another example. They can tell whatever story they want. They could take literally anything. It doesn't even have to have a, tr- a hint of truth to it. They could take literally anything. They can take these squeaky clean children of Donald Trump and make them out to be Nazis. Even if the son-in-law is Jewish. Ivanka is as perfect and as successful as they come. No drama, no sleeping around, no drugs. And she's the worst person ever. Melania is a literal supermodel and was never once on the front of a woman's magazine in four years as first lady of the United States. Every time she did anything like decorating-wise, the press talked about how it was the, the ugliest thing they've ever seen ever. Okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the Trumps. The Bidens can be the most messed up family in the history of the White House. We have near incest going on. And they get written up like it's, uh, like it's Camelot over here. When the, when the uh, Bidens were asked about Hunter and, and Haley, that's the, the sister-in-law, being a couple, a couple, the Bidens wrote in an official statement, they said, we are all lucky that Hunter and Haley found each other as they were putting their lives together again after such sadness. <laughs> the media is like, oh, it's beautiful. They found each other. Isn't that great? They found each other. How did they find each other? Well, they met at, their, at his brother's wedding. <laughs> and I'm sure other family events too. Gee, they found, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, wow, it's great. They found each other. Anyway, the cocaine's probably hunters, but I, I, we'll never, we'll never know. <laughs> no way was there a camera there, a camera in the White House, and it's like a security checkpoint of the White House. No camera. Come on. Uh, let's get to some business, sort of. Actually, we can tie this into Joe Biden. I got a lot to say about affirmative action. Still, it's the, the affirmative action Supreme Court case is way too good to give it only the drive-by media reaction. That's not fair. It deserves way more than that. Clarence Thomas basically spent like 30 years of his life hoping to get to this moment right here, and he finally did, and we're going to give it like 12 hours of attention and the media to move on to the next thing. Like, no way. So we'll talk more about that later, but one thing, uh, one aspect of affirmative action relates to Joe Biden. The, so quick background. The left lost big time on affirmative action, just crushed, and they know it. They know, but they also know that a lot of their base doesn't like affirmative action either, so like like rich white people, so they can't come out against affirmative action, so they decided to come out hard against legacy admissions instead. If you notice, like there's very little, maybe some folks at MSNBC, but there's very little people on the left uh, making the argument for affirmative action. 
it's not, it's, it's really not there. So what they decided to do is say, oh, okay, well, if that's gone, if affirmative action is gone, then we also have to end legacy admissions as well. So legacy admission is your parents or grandparents went to the same school, so you have a leg up if you're the son or daughter or grandchild of uh, someone at that school, right? That's a legacy. Uh, I know at Yale, about 10% of the class is legacy. And the left, they hate that. So they decided to go after that, which is an interesting tactic. Instead of continuing to try to uh, support affirmative action because it's unsupportable. So uh, they're going after legacy. And Biden said, uh, my administration would direct the, will direct the Department of Education to scrutinize how practices like legacy admissions expand privilege instead of opportunity. Okay, so Joe Biden coming out hard, following the Democratic Party line, coming out hard against legacy admissions and people with privilege getting into universities when they otherwise wouldn't be eligible to get in. Okay, how did all the Biden kids get into Ivy League schools? Are we supposed to believe that the Bidens are supremely brilliant people? I read somewhere, I forget where I read this this weekend, and the article was something like, uh, Joe Biden is not, senile he's just not smart it can be both but he's definitely not smart do you remember when george w bush and john Kerry were running against each other by the way john Kerry's ready to go to china as the presidential envoy on climate change <laughs> he's going to be with chinese officials uh, about getting them on board with climate change agreements so that'll be john Kerry still in the game but george w bush and john Kerry running against each other whatever year that was and the media framed it as another perfect story. The media framed it as John Kerry was this brilliant Yale scholar and George W. Bush was this big dummy from Texas. Remember that? That, that was the framing. They were both at Yale, and I think they were at Yale at the same time, or they had uh, a, a year crossover or like maybe the same year. I, I, they were right around the same time. And George W. Bush had higher grades than John Kerry. George W. Bush had better grades than John Kerry. It is so phony. Every single thing you hear from the media, it is such so phony. Everything is a lie. Joe Biden is not smart. Now, I don't think you should judge anyone by the school they went to or didn't go to. Actually, these days, I'm more likely to judge you negatively if you went to one of these elite schools. But Joe Biden in college had a C average. He was ranked 506 out of his class of 688, 506 out of 688. Then he was almost kicked out of Syracuse Law School for plagiarism. And that's why he had to drop out of the first time he ran for president because that all came out. He's not smart. He's just not, he's never was a smart guy. But then his son, Bo, gets into the University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League school. Hunter gets into Georgetown. Okay, so Joe says legacy admissions are unfair. Okay. Let's go to the laptop. Let's go to the laptop. The laptop from hell. The one left behind at the laptop repair shop by his crackhead son. Remember that one? So we'll go back to 2018. Maisie, this is one of Hunter's kids, was applying to colleges, and she wanted to go to University of Pennsylvania. That's where the Joe Biden think tank was. <laughs> think tank. The Joe Biden think tank. All right, so we got the text here. Uh, Maisie told her uh, dad, Hunter, that she applied early to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And we have, we have uh, all these texts uh, between Hunter and uh, Joe about Joe meeting with the president of University of Pennsylvania. 
and and Joe's responding back like, oh, like like Hunter, she's in the game for regular admissions. So she wasn't smart enough to get in early. She applied early, but she clearly wasn't smart enough for that. That's how bad of a student she was. Um, so she uh, was like maybe in the game for regular admissions. Now, if the vice president, he was one year, Joe Biden at this time was one year out of being the vice president of the United States. If he can't pull his weight to get this girl in, she had to be such a bad student that the university in good conscience could not even allow the vice president's daughter to go into the school. Joe wrote back to Hunter and said her grades in 11th grade were so bad that she had to start to get some sort of good grades in 12th grade to show that 11th grade was just a fluke. So you have to get a tutor or something to give us a little bit of a chance to pull our weight in order to make this happen. And then Joe met with the dean of admissions at the University of Pennsylvania and wrote back to Hunter and said, hey, tell her to express some interest in playing lacrosse at University of Pennsylvania. So have her lacrosse coach talk to the lacrosse coach of Pennsylvania and maybe they can get her in as some sort of like athletic admissions or something like that. Like we like game this process the best we can. And long story short, she got in. <laughs> she got in. Joe Biden, and of course she got in. Joe Biden was given a honorary doctorate of law from the University of Pennsylvania. The president called him one of our nation's foremost statesmen. Okay, we are living in crazy times. So why would University of Pennsylvania want a Biden to go there? Because the University of Pennsylvania Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. That's the think tank. The Free Beacon has reported that foreign funding to University of Pennsylvania after the, the Biden Center opened went up by a billion dollars. A billion. All of these Chinese businessmen started suddenly showing great interest in the University of Pennsylvania Biden Center. Then Hunter told Haley, the, her, his brother's widow, that he wanted to go to rehab and then get out and teach a course at University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> because they just let anyone teach courses at Ivy League schools. He hasn't yet, but there's always time. But what else was in it for the University of Pennsylvania? Why else would the president allow the vice president's granddaughter, who clearly was not qualified, to go to this school? What was in it for her? What did she get out of it? Well, she got a billion dollars in donations from foreigners. That looks good. If you're the president, like you're just raising money. Like that's what the president does at the university. So she really has a billion dollars that just came in. Okay. Also, in 2021, the then president of University of Pennsylvania, the one who Joe Biden was meeting with to try to get her daughter in, his, his granddaughter in, in 2021, that woman, that president, was named the ambassador to Germany. So enough about the Bidens. Just know that they are just as morally corrupt of a group as, as, it, as they come. Eight six six nine five patriot 866-95-PATRIOT. Sorry, there's one more thing I want to say about the, the girl in Arkansas that no one's. There's like a whole thing there too, but I've had enough of the Bidens. Let me just say this. The mom, so this is the, the girl that, the Hunter Biden uh, had a kid with the stripper in Arkansas and they just did this whole court, like a custody, not custody, it wasn't custody, um, like a payment thing, right? Uh, a court case in Arkansas. 
the mom wanted to change her daughter's last name to Biden to get in on some of that Biden name and Hunter didn't want her to. And he won out on that by giving even more money to the mom. And the New York Times wrote an article about this, wrote an article about this, this woman in Arkansas and never once mentioned that she was a stripper. And that's how they met. So you're telling me the New York Times wrote an article on Hunter Biden that was favorable and sympathetic to the stripper? Which therefore made Hunter look bad. Listen, there's, there's no way that this is not a plan. They're trying to get Joe Biden out. They're trying as, as gracefully and, and like as nicely with as little touch as possible to try to get Joe Biden to stop running for president. And they're just going to slowly keep escalating it uh, to, to push him out so he can get out with dignity and not hurt the party and set up the party for someone else to run like a Gavin Newsom. I, I'm, I'm, I believe that is the play here. Back to Breitbart News Daily. I'm Mike Slater. One of my favorite stories from last week, Fourth of July, was when Ben and Jerry's says we got to give the land back to the indigenous people, and then the indigenous people are like, "Okay, <laughs> we'll start with Vermont. Beautiful." Uh, but the bigger story here in, in that is uh, ESG. There's another ESG story, and who's really one running the show at Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream? Because there's a bigger company on top of them. So let's get down to the bottom of what's really motivating woke capitalism. Paul Fitzpatrick is here. He's the president of the 1792 Exchange. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mike, this morning. Thanks for having me on. No, my pleasure. This story, it's just, it's just, it's beautiful. It's just perfect. How, like, how, how, good. No, no, you go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, how, like, perfectly, obviously hypocritical, they, the fact that they would step in it so clearly, like how could they not? How could they be so unaware, unself-aware of the situation that they would even think to tweet out something like that? Mike, you stole you stole my word. Hypocrisy. This is what the left is so good at, and as we've seen these corporations get politicized, it is unbelievable how they lack self-awareness. They truly do. A corporation like. Ben and Jerry's, which has been pushing really a leftist, secular progressive agenda ever since the beginning, um, has just continued. But I know you want to get to the part of the story that's interesting. Ben and Jerry's is not just a little privately held company. Because if Ben and Jerry wanted to destroy their own company by alienating their customers, telling Americans they hate them, um, they could do that. But as you know, Ben and Jerry don't own their company anymore. Yes. Oh, this is so important for people to understand. And real quick, you mentioned that Ben and Jerry's has always been a lefty group. Um, that's true. Like, this is different than Bud Light, right? Like, Bud Light comes out and everyone's like, what? Like, I didn't think. But Ben and Jerry's, they've always been crazy on the left or whatever. But that's not the story anymore. <clears throat> and this, this is where we get to the 1792 exchange. So before we even talk about Unilever, what is the 1792 exchange that you are the president of? Oh, well, Mike. 1792 Exchange is an alliance of families and leaders that are protecting freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and free enterprise. And we're doing that in the context of woke corporations. We're trying to move them back towards neutral 
to protect our freedoms, our small businesses, businesses, our nonprofits, and our families' ability to operate without getting canceled or denied service or debanked or deplatformed, <laughs> divested from public companies that have embraced what is called stakeholder capitalism. Yes. Okay, so we've talked a lot on the show <clears throat> about BlackRock and the human rights campaign and their rankings on how uh, pro-LGBTQ uh, different companies are, and then BlackRock comes in and invests based off of those rankings, and you need to be more woke, and if you're not woke enough, uh, we, are now, we own 20% of your company now, uh, a target, so we at BlackRock, we're going to demand that you do these woke things because we're your true customer now. We own you, uh, not the people. So we've been trying to put all that stuff together uh, because you've got to follow the money. But it sounds like you guys at the 1792 Exchange are the, um, are the what? You're, you're not the alternative as much as the, like the, you show the spotlight of, of what's really going on we, with these companies. That's exactly right. This is, we have a series of reports called our Spotlight Reports. Um, and the first of which is called the corporate bias ratings. And that's where we rate companies of high risk, medium risk, or lower risk on their likelihood of divesting or, or canceling a customer or an employee. And the reason we did that is because we saw that, you know, we saw it in 2020, it exploded with corporations debanking or deplatforming nonprofits or individuals or businesses or employees getting fired. And so we said, wait a minute. We need, if I'm going to run a business or a nonprofit, I need to know where should I bank? Who should I use as a web hosting company or a payment processing company? Mm. All of these operations that if they shut you down, you, you're, you're done. I mean, we saw what happened to Parler. That's a perfect example. So our database, we want people to go to our database and use it as a tool to determine their risk. Oh, that's and, smart. And then make decisions based on it. But, I, so, but it, it's, it's not just small businesses and nonprofits. We want individual consumers to use it as well. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know, in England, they're having a big debate right now because Nigel Farage was debanked. So his bank said, sorry, you're out. <laughs> We're not going to let you use money anymore. Uh, you're like, whoa. So that, that's, that's the next step of where we're all headed with all this. But anyway, so let's go back. That's awesome. Love that. And the, the website is uh, 1792exchange.com. Easy. Awesome. Check it out. Check out the report. And you can search by company. Uh, and Unilever is the giant company that owns Ben & Jerry's. So tell me about Unilever. Well, Unilever is one of the 1,500 companies we've evaluated, just to be, to be clear. And Unilever, interestingly, has, has a very sordid background. Um, it, it is a, one of the first multinational comp companies. It's an Anglo-Dutch, London-based company, 100 years old. Um, interestingly, it, it was in Germany as Hitler was rising. It was investing. Um, and it benefited. It continued to grow and benefit after Germany invaded the Netherlands. And so what, what did it do? I mean, it, it replaced Jewish members, Jewish managers and, and supervisory board members in its businesses that were in Germany, invested in German infrastructure and industry. It actually acquired Jewish-owned businesses stolen by the Nazis and even benefited, you know, some of them banks that were, were taken over during Kristallnacht. They, they invested in that. Um, and they, and they have, they've never apologized. And so here's this backdrop, this history, um, and this company. It's a global company with lots of brands. Remember, Ben & Jerry's is not its only brand. It has about 400 brands, but many of them are American-based brands. And so it is interesting that Ben & Jerry's also had its own anti-Semitic problem in 2021 mm -hmm. when it was 
saying it was not going to sell its products in Israel because, interestingly, back to the land issue, they called Israel stolen Palestinian land. So once again, they're, they're doing the land thing. But, but Unilever is this public company that has this interesting sordid history. Uh, mm. But as we both know, things are different nowadays. You're right that you said earlier very wisely, people on the right and the left have known that Ben & Jerry's has been more of a left, left, lefty company, uh, more progressive. But things are different now. Mm. Yeah, like some of the brand Dove, Hellman's, uh, Tresemme, uh, Axe Body Spray, uh, Comfort, Ben & Jerry's, Lipton Iced Tea. It's amazing these giant companies own uh, so many of these brands. Like, there's not many companies, honestly, that make all of our household goods. Um, and they own all. So, so that was then. Uh, but Unilever now is as woke as any of them. Do you have some examples of how crazy this giant public company has become? Oh, I mean, they of course line up with so many corporations and you know strive to get a high rating in the human rights campaign. They push the Equality Act. They donate to Planned Parenthood. But they've even been sued by a, an employee that was was fired because the, this person wanted to take off a Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, interestingly, when it comes to, to to information flow, and this is the kind of thing that would affect Breitbart, um, Unilever is a member of this thing called the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, which aims to demonize advertisements and suppress, suppress content that, that, quote, vilifies individuals based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, basically, it's it's one of these disinformation tools. Yeah, you know, wait, what's wanna, the name of that? Global, what was it? Global Alliance for Responsible Media. Like if like everyone That's listening true. obviously should have a, a red flag, like throw the flag on the field when you hear an organization called the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. Good night. So what do they do? They give a bunch yeah. of money to that. Yes. Yes. They're they're involved in that. And, they, you know, these, you know, the digital ad. Uh, business globally is enormous, and it, it affects every company that has a, an online presence, like Breitbart. Um, and so, th- this is about silent. Ultimately, it's about corporations coming together to use maybe in areas where the government doesn't have the authority, but they can use their market forces to shut down speech that they don't agree with. Yeah. And they would probably think your speech and my speech would be <laughs> be pretty bad. Of course, and I got. I have to look this up again. So I forget, but I think it was Vivek's. Uh, who's now running for president, but when he wrote his book, his um, his like ESG, stakeholder capitalism takedown book, he told this whole story about Unilever and how they are like the most hypocritical company. I, I got to look at the details, but it was something like they owned a coffee bean farm and about, and, and like a bunch of women were raped. Like it was like, they're like the whole town that, that, that Unilever owns for this farm was like ravaged and pillaged and they didn't give any women a day off and force them back into the fields as slaves. Meanwhile, on all their public pronouncements, they have like this whole, we love women and women in the workforce and we're pro-women and everything. And they did nothing for the women who were raped and pillaged literally uh, on their dime and on their land. Uh, I got to go look up the details, but I think that I think it was Unilever and, and Vivek wrote all about that. Um, so we got to take Let's take a big step back here because everyone's wondering, like, why? Why does Bud Light, which isn't owned by an American company, uh, why are all these companies going woke but then still going woke, right? Like, like it's one thing for Bud Light to do it and step in it, but then 
like the next company comes in the next day and they step in it again. And you're like, guys, like, did you not know what happened to Bud Light? Why do you keep doing this? So can you help us define stakeholder capitalism? Every single one of us needs to be able to define this clearly for our friends and family who are trying to make sense of why these companies are doing this, which seems to be very self-destructive behavior. Stakeholder capitalism, we probably don't have the time to go through all the history. You know, the left has taken over every institution. The final institution that they, they captured recently was corporations. You know, that you had the UN come out with these ES, this environmental, social, and governance principles in 2005. And then after, remember, what a lot of this happens. The, the pivot happened in many ways, 2008, nine, the financial crisis. Remember that mm. we had to, taxpayers had to bail out corporations, both the right and the left didn't like corporations. Corporations wanted to silence and win over the Occupy Wall Street folks. You had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren saying we needed to break up these companies, et cetera. And so they had to figure out a way, one, to make more money because they were hurting, two, how to win over the left that was willing to use the power to hurt them. So they came up with these principles, ESG, let's, let's try to, and they were pressured, by the way. Massive pressure came from governments on corporations. By governments, we mean sovereign wealth funds. Those are funds owned by countries, but also state pension funds, the big ones in California, New York, mm-hmm. Illinois, put pressure on the asset managers, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, your, your listeners are aware of them. But at the, it's a, it was a perfect marriage. The left wanted to use government money and private money to push their agenda. The, the businesses, the BlackRock said, wait a minute, we could charge more by slapping an ESG label on it. And by our big customers, the big pension funds and sovereign wealth funds will be happy if we force CEOs to push political agendas, and, and that really started exploding, well, what was a major tipping point to your question, stakeholder capitalism? In 2019, almost 200 of the most powerful CEOs in America and the world got together and said, we are redefining the purpose of a corporation from maximizing shareholder value, which is, by the way, their legal obligation, to maximizing and benefiting shareholders plus stakeholders. And they define stakeholders as employees and and their suppliers and the communities where they operate. So, you know, the old saying, like, if if you're responsible to everyone, you're you're responsible to no one. Mm. So that was 2019. Stakeholder capitalism is about corporations pushing agendas that maybe not just not help their bottom line, but actually being maybe opposite from it. It may harm the bottom line. And so these, the left took it over. And then we saw in 2020, that's when we referred to earlier, corporations were weaponized in, in the, whether having to do with COVID or, or Trump campaign or BLM or other things. Um, so simple, simple point is yep. that stakeholder capitalism is about the left using the power of corporations to drive capital, to drive products, to drive your behavior and information flow. What a fascinating tale that we're living in, right? Like that that's an unbelievable, it's perfectly articulated, true uh, assessment of just the last decade or so to get us where we are now that everyone's scratching their heads. Uh, but how do we get, well, I got two questions. I was going to ask how we get out of this. But before that even, connect maybe one more dot. Because let's say like Bud Light, right? They, they do their woke thing with the, with the, the guy, right? And then we find out or we realize that Anheuser-Busch is owned by a Belgian company. <laughs> We're like, what? <laughs> like, what? Like, what do you mean, huh? Uh, 
so like does InBev not care that Bud Light has dropped out of the top 10 of most liked beer? Do they not care that their sales have gone down 25%? Is is the stakeholder value, quote unquote, worth more to them than actual value, than real money? Or is there a limit to their wokeness? You, you are, you are, that's such a great question, Mike. Um, you're right on the spot. To be clear, these corporations and the CEOs are mostly incentivized to make money. Now, they're, 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 their compensation is now including ESG metrics. But you're right. Bottom line, they want to make money. So you're saying, why would they do this? That's really your main question. Yeah. Why would ABN, this big company, allow a woke manager, brand manager at Bud Light, destroy the brand? And they've lost $26 billion in market cap. And, uh, you know, Target has lost 11 Disney is many, many billion. Uh, by the way, Unilever's already lost $2.5 billion in, in days. Well, I, you're right. I didn't finish the story about stakeholder capitalism. What is the lever? What's the, what's the connect from Larry Fink at BlackRock and then State Street and Vanguard and some other big guys to the CEO? Well, if you take BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard together, they're going to own about 25% of the voting shares for the boards of public companies and the S&P 500 for about 90% of them. So about 90% of the S&P 500 25% of the voting shares for the board members wow. is controlled by three big companies. Unbelievable. Then, then, then the next layer down is these companies called, uh, excuse me, proxy advisors. They, they are hugely influential in the process of shareholders voting and, and in essence, directing votes. It takes too long to describe it all, but they control another 20 to 30%. So let's say you're the CEO. Of Wait, real quick. I know, I know you want to skip over that, but what was, what was that yep. company? Or what was that again? Because I, I, if, if it's another 30%, that's big. The, the proxy advisors. Proxy refers to the vote, the vote in a shareholder proposal. So if you own a share of a stock, you have a proxy. You can vote as a shareholder. Well, these proxy advisors control over 90% of the market managing the information flow and how the vote they rate companies and then they advise companies on how to handle the, the process the process the process of these shares but then they're they're actually advising companies how to vote and and these proxy advisors are overwhelmingly they're foreign owned and they're overwhelmingly progressive so they rec wow. are recommending voting for the progressive position so let's get back to your yeah yeah keep going yeah and so, so let's say, you know, uh, Sally is the CEO of Unilever. I don't know who the CEO is. I don't remember. Um, that person, even if they want to be neutral to your question, they're saying, I just want to maximize shareholder value. Well, if you have a block coming in that's controlling, oh, 30, 40, 50% of your vote uh, of the board, which directs your compensation, and they're saying, you know what? We want you to take these environmental positions and and commit to this climate position and getting it to net zero. And, we, and on the socialists, on the, on the S of ESG, we want you to push the LGBTQ agenda. We want you to fund abortion and push that agenda. Um, and on the G, we want you to push uh, and have quotas and have a, a, a racial agenda, both internally and out out externally, we want you to support it. Well, this CEO, their compensation is driven and by these board members and you have these massive shareholders who can who can ultimately replace the CEO replace the board then replace the CEO. So 
to your point, I don't believe many CEOs want to be politically active. I really don't. But I do believe many of them like being celebrity woke CEOs. Like once they've embraced it and they get invited to the right cocktail parties mm. and they get accolades in the media, yes. and by the way, their, their compensation goes up, then they like it. Yeah, that's but right. let's, let's be clear, long term, the American people lose because roughly three quarters of all assets in the stock market are tied to retirement. So your, your retirement plan and my retirement plan, if these companies long term make bad decisions, decisions for non-financial reasons, for long term, it's going to harm the stock. And that harms my retirement security in mm. as well. Yes, at the very least, uh, among other things, too. Um, let me play this clip here. I, I had this clip in my notes from a long time ago at the, the most recent World Economic Forum gathering. Uh, and here is the president of Unilever. I, I say Unilever. Is it Unilever? Uh, you know, I think you're right. I think it's Unilever. Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm just. I just. I just. I think it, yeah. What I've always ever said. I don't know. Uh, so yeah. here she is, and I forget exactly why I had this in my notes from what she said ago. But let's let's play it on the fly. Our innovation is focused on. Products. So again, this is the president of Unilever. Our innovation is focused on products that you will eat every day, but that solves some of these problems. So four big areas, and I'll be pretty quick on those. Um, first of all, more plant-based eating, big focus for us. Um, because if we all ate a little bit less meat every day, it would go a long way in solving that emissions problem, and it's healthier for us too. So Okay, there you go. That's, that's why I had that. So she's part of the eat less meat, <laughs> part of the eat less meat thing to save the planet. But, but that, that, she has a ton of power in that. As she owns, or she's the president of this massive company that controls, like, a, like I don't know, like twenty percent of the food in America. Like, like, so we need to pay attention when she's doing that. But you're saying perhaps she doesn't really genuinely believe that, but she's being pressured to, or at least that's a part of it. I think, I think it's a both and. Yeah. And 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 again, I don't know her, but I think deep inside, many of them know they are they're being pressured to make decisions that are. I'd just like to say it's simple. Dividing their employees and alienating customers. Um, and if you're running a business, you know those two things are bad. Mm. And so I, I believe she is saying exactly what most CEOs, public company CEOs, are saying publicly. The thing is, they're not all acting. I think many of them, it's just, we call it greenwashing. They're trying to, to say the right things, but they're actually not doing a lot. The problem, to your point, uh, she is massively influential. And if you have all these uh, big food companies <clears throat> pushing the plant-based and, you know, they want us to eat bugs and things yep. um, based on, based on faulty science about the climate, <clears throat> they, they actually can drive our behaviors just because of what's available on the, on the that's right. store. Wow. The yep. 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 She's going to be one of the people to make eat, eat the bugs. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Paul, wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for all your insight here. And, and I hope you can be one of our go-to guys on the whole ESG fraud. This is uh, a huge thing that we're living in the middle of. I put this in the category too of it's a fascinating phenomenon of we are living in the middle of all these bizarre things and we just sort of watch it like it's a TV show and we're like, huh, I wonder how that'll turn out. You know? And we're like, no, no, we're in it. Like we, we are the ones who decide how it turns out right now. Like your behavior, your actions, uh, so I'm grateful for the resources you put out there so that we don't just watch this happen like a TV show and wonder how it turns turns out. Instead, we can be a part of it. Um, so the website, 1792exchange.com. Is that right? That's correct, Mike. Just please encourage your listeners to go to 1792exchange.com, go to our spotlight report on corporate bias ratings, and learn about the companies that you 
patronize and all also where your retirement plan dollars sit. Mm, yeah, and act accordingly. Wonderful. Paul Fitzpatrick, he's the president of it. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Mike. Have a great Have day. Have a good day. 1792exchange.com. Thanks for listening to the Breitbart News Daily podcast. Tomorrow, uh, among other things, we're going to talk about how 40% of Brown University students say they're not straight. Uh, But listen, it's of course crazy in the universities. That's one thing. But it's another when this enters into the church. When When all this woke stuff ultimately infiltrates into the church, which is the ultimate goal of all this is to destroy Christianity. Uh, that's when we got some big problems here. And a lot of the church has allowed this to not only seep in, but to become even more more prominent in the church, all this LGBTQ stuff, all this woke stuff. So Robert Jeffress is going to be here, pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas, to talk about how this is dividing the church and how it should not. That's tomorrow, Breitbart News Daily on Sirius XM. Spread the word.